Amen. Aren't you so thankful he knows your name? Uh, here recently we spoke in TSM. I was preaching to him and we preached out of one, uh, Psalm 103 in verse 15. It says, as for man, his days are like the grass, like a, feather, uh, a flower that springeth up and then is blown away to be remembered no more. He says, but the mercies of God are from everlasting to everlasting. And what I love about that is because you have this great comparison of a great, ginormous, all-powerful God that cares for something as simple as me. And that is so special. So this morning, I want you to be encouraged that he knows your name and that he knows all your thoughts and your worries and your anxieties. And I want you to take comfort in that this morning. Uh, If you will, let's go ahead and get our Bibles. We're going to open up to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And um, while you're doing that, sometime during the message, you know what I would appreciate from you? Your prayers. Because I... uh, I don't know if you can hear it, but my voice is on a little rebellious streak right now, and it's not wanting to cooperate that much, and so uh, I want y'all to pray for me uh, that my voice would hold up and that I could uh, be able to speak to you this morning and to the next service afterwards, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Uh, That's where we're going to start out. That's not where we're going to stay. We're going to kind of jump around to different scriptures, which is very unlike me. I like to stay in one particular set of scriptures and kind of exegete those, develop those. But this morning we're going to be looking at different scriptures to kind of uh, develop the sermon this morning. But we're going to start in Matthew chapter 4, starting uh, in verse 18. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me. Would you all say that with me? He said unto them, Follow me. And he says to them, And I will make you fishers of men. Will we pray? Uh, this morning. Father, we are so thankful to be in your house, in your presence, Lord. We just want to ask you that you would take full control over this, this, uh, this place this morning. You are welcome here. And Lord, I'm praying that you would use me as a vessel, Lord, that you would pour into me so I can pour out to others. Lord, hide me behind the cross. Lord, touch my throat. Lord, touch, touch my voice that it will maintain and hold up. And Lord, we want to give you the glory and the honor and the praise that you are so worthy of. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so you go ahead and be seated. For, for those who are new to the temple, this is maybe your first time. That's going to help. Maybe your first time ever being here. Uh, I am not Pastor Malcolm Carter, um, in case somebody hasn't already revealed that to you. I usually give this disclaimer every time I preach that, uh, you know what, your car is already here. Might as well enjoy yourself. Your neighbors and your friends have already seen you leave the house. Okay, you put on many layers of clothing. Okay, it's, it's, don't go home and don't text second service and say, preacher's not here, abort, stay home. Um, I don't want you to do that. So I need you to make a promise with me this morning that you're going to brag about what happens here this morning. You're going to tell others you need to be at temple. Um, so, so brag about the service, brag to others what's going on, and tell them to get up and get ready and get here. Um, but preacher is actually, preacher and his father are in Israel right now. Um, so I, what's exciting about that for me especially is I know he's going to come back with just months of material. He was like, let me tell you about the Dead Sea. Let me tell you about Jordan. Let me tell you about Petra. Let me t-. I, I know that's going to be him when he comes back, so I'm excited about that. However, I don't think he enjoyed his trip over there. Um, now, when Pastor Malcolm tells you he's not really a people person, he doesn't like to be confined... <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the face you get after riding on a plane for 12 hours and landing in Israel. Just, 
just love and life right there, isn't he? Um, but he, he is in Israel right now. Y'all pray for him. Pray for his safe arrival. Pray that he would... Okay, sorry. I startled myself up there. I was like, there's a large man on screen. Um, but y'all just pray for Pastor Malcolm um, and his arrival back safely. Um, y'all pray for me. This morning, I'm going to be preaching a message called Next Step. Everybody in this place, every single one of you have a next step. There's something God is asking you to do to take that next step in life. And, and, and the reality is, you have to take steps in order to grow. And we're going to be looking at that this morning. Let me give you kind of a, a situation I ran into years ago. Years ago. Uh, and, and let me go ahead and give a disclaimer. I'm sorry if anybody in here works for uh, Dollar General. I, I mean... I mean that in a gracious way, like if you're a manager or a regional manager, we still love you, okay? But um, I, I, I just, it's interesting when I go to Dollar General, it's always a new experience when I go to Dollar General. Um, and so years ago, years ago, I was sick, kind of like now, um, and I needed some NyQuil. We didn't have any NyQuil in the house, and, and I love NyQuil because it's so potent and it's so powerful, it just knocks you, I call it the nighttime sniffing, sneezing, coughing, stuffy head fever. Why did I wake up in the bathtub medicine? And so it's a, it's a, great, it's a great medicine to help you in your time of need. And we didn't have any. And so I needed to go to the store. And, and I walk in Dollar General. And there's a lady standing at the counter with her buggy. And there's no one at the cash register to check her out. She's just standing there with a buggy full of stuff. And so I'm thinking to myself... Well, she must have needed something extra, or maybe she needed a price check, and the employee has gone to go check on this item for her. And so I just mind my own business. I keep on going. I go to the medicine section. I grab my NyQuil, and I come back, and she's still there holding her buggy. And I said, uh, I said ma'am, uh, where'd, the, uh, where'd the lady go or the, the cash, cashier go? And she says, I don't know. I ain't seen nobody. And so immediately I'm wondering, You've been standing here this entire time with a, bar, with a buggy full of groceries, like, just standing there. Like, I, you know, I'm very impatient. I probably would have just put a 20 on the counter and walked out the door. I'm not sure what I would have done. But she's just been, and so I'm thinking, well, she hasn't been here long. So I asked her, I said, how long have you been waiting? She's like, I don't know, about 10, 15 minutes. I'm like, you've been, you've been waiting 10 or 15 minutes in an empty store. Just, just hoping somebody would come to the rescue. And she's just standing there with her buggies and just very calmly. And I'm not a very calm person sometimes. I'm very impatient and I get kind of infuriated, and infuriated sometimes and, and, and Lord help me. And so I'm, out, I'm behind this cash register and I look over the conveyor belt and I see a phone. And on this phone there's a button that says intercom. <laughs> and so I pick, up, I pick up that phone and I hit that button and I say, to the Dollar General employees, there's two customers up front that would like to check out. Thank you. And, as, and I hang up the phone. And I put it back on the receiver. And we're waiting for like another two or three minutes. Nothing's happening. So my mind, I'm going to the next logical thing, which is they've been robbed. That's what I'm thinking. And so I'm thinking there's people locked up somewhere in a room. And they're tied up and they're unable to help us at this moment because they're in need of saving so I pick up the phone again. I get on the intercom and I said, it has just occurred to me that you may have been robbed. 
If you're in a room somewhere locked up, please make noise. We will come find you, release you, and then you can come check us out. Thank you. And I hang up the receiver again. Now, about 30 seconds after that announcement, I see an employee come just running as fast as she can across the corner of the store. And she comes, and, and she gets in line. She's like, I'm sorry for your wait. Can I help you? And the lady in front of me, she's like, you check him out first. I'm like, thank you. So I go in front of her, and I leave the store. And, and I say all this because you're like, what does this have to do about anything? I'm telling you this story because I got home later that night, and I started thinking about that lady. I started laughing. I was like, this lady was just sitting there in line for Lord knows how long, just sitting there. Waiting for something to happen, right? She was just waiting for something to happen. But really what she needed to do was, was to take some action to make something happen. She was just waiting for uh, a, a, an arrival of a person to make her day better, to check her out. to do. And, 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 and this is what the Lord spoke to me. He says, you know, this is how many of us as Christians live our life. We're just waiting for something to happen. It's like we're just standing there waiting for God to show up or waiting for an answer to something. We're just waiting. And sometimes God has already spoke into you what you need to do next. Maybe God has already told you what your next step needs to be. Maybe God has already given you direction, but you're afraid to take that next step. And so you are just waiting, hoping that maybe there's an expiration date to his will for that particular area and hoping that, that it will just go away and you can move on to something else. But the reality is, until you take that next step, there will be no growth. Until you do that one thing he has impressed upon your heart, there will be no more maturity in your life. You will be stuck where you are for the rest of your life until you take that next step. Let me ask you, are you happy where you are right now? Are you happy in your walk with the Lord right now? Is that where you want to be? Have you arrived? Is this it? Because until you take that next step, and that step after that, and the step after, there's going to be no growth. And so we look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And this is a very familiar text if you've ever been in church and ever read your Bible about the calling of his disciples. Very familiar text. But in, in verse 18, it says, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea because they were what? What kind of occupation? They were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me. Now, this is huge. And it's huge for a lot of reasons, but I want to, I want to if you'll let me, give you some background on the Jewish society, the Jewish culture, how things operated in that time period, to let you help you understand the, the enormity of this phrase, follow me. Because uh, in that culture, Jewish children would go to school, and they had three levels of schooling to become a rabbi or a disciple of a rabbi. They had three different levels of schooling. The first level of schooling was a process called Beit Sefer, and I wish I would have gave them this to put up here, but it's called Beit Sefer. And the way this worked is from the ages of 6 to 10, Jewish children, Jewish boys would go to a school. And this Beit Sefer loosely translates to house of the book. And by the age of 10 years old, they would have memorized the entire Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. By 10 years old, memorized five books of the Bible. 
But this is what would happen next. The next level of training was called Beit Talmud. But, but not everybody got to go to that next level of training. Only the best of the best of the best got to graduate to the next level. And so for those children, those 10-year-old children that maybe did okay but didn't do everything they should have done, maybe they couldn't retain information, maybe they were not that good of students, whatever it may be, they would be approached and told, listen, you, you're obviously a smart kid, but I don't think you have what it takes, so you need to go home and learn the family trade. Whatever your family does, go home and learn that and help in the family trade. But the best of the best of those children got to move up to Beit Talmud. And Beit Talmud means house of the law. By this point, by the age of 14, they would have memorized the entire Hebrew scriptures. Major and minor prophets, book of Psalms, the poetry, the book of wisdom, uh, Proverbs. They would have memorized it all by the age of 14. After that, the best of the best would then graduate to the next level of learning, which is called Beit Midrash. And in Beit Midrash, what they would do is they would learn the art of answering and asking questions. And this is when they would come and meet a rabbi. A very popular, famous, very knowledgeable, well-respected rabbi in the area would come and sit down with these children. And these children would, be, would then be asked questions by this rabbi. Because the rabbi was trying to figure out, can these children do what I do? Can they be my disciple? Or are they able to do and, and to comprehend the things I'm about to do? And each rabbi had his own teachings and his own way of, 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 of teaching children and teaching his disciples. It was called his yoke, which brings a whole other level to when Jesus says, my yoke is easy. And so this rabbi would say, can I place my yoke upon this person? Can they do what I do? And so he would sit down with the children and he would ask them questions. And afterwards... He would decide, he would say to some children, you know what, you're obviously very smart. You obviously have it together. You're obviously a very intelligent kid, but I don't think you can do what I can do. So you just need to go home, learn the family trade, do what your family does. May God love you, God bless you. But to some, to the best of the best, he would look at them and he would say this, follow me. Lek Akari, follow me me. So why is this such a big deal in Matthew chapter 4 verse 19 when Jesus saith unto them follow me? Because what, was, what were they doing before Jesus found them? The family trade. Fishing. They were not the best of the best. They were the rejects. They were the ones that couldn't make the cut. Right? They, they were society's lessers. They, they were the B team. They were the ones that just couldn't make it. And Jesus walks up to them and he says, I think you can do what I do. Follow me. And he tells these rejects, the not good enoughs, the ones society said could never do it. He says, follow me. This is huge for you and I because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have it all together. I'm going to tell you right now, I fall short. I'm telling you right now, I'm full of mistakes. I'm full of brokenness. And when Jesus came into my life, he said, Andrew, I think you can do what I can do. All you have to do is follow me. Follow me. And so what I want you to understand this morning is the very first point is, is that, that Jesus is, in fact, calling us. And Christianity is as simple as following Jesus one step at a time. It's following Jesus one step at a time. Because I think we overcomplicate it. We make it seem like it's something bigger than it really is. But the reality is, Jesus is not calling you from here to there. 
he's calling you one step at a time. Just follow me. One step at a time. That's all you need to do. Just trust me. I know where I'm going. Just one step at a time. But we get hung up because sometimes the steps are hard, aren't they? Sometimes the steps are a little difficult. So we get hung up on one of the steps. We don't really want to move. But he's saying you can't get to where I am until you take your next step. And But we're just stuck. He said, just follow me. So Christianity is simple as just taking one step at a time. But with that, the reality is he will make you into what you need to be. Because he comes to these brothers who are fishing. He says unto them, verse 19, follow me. And look at this next phrase. Verse 19, follow me and I will, let's put it up here. I will make you. He says, follow me and I will make you. What do you say? I will make you what you need to be. I'm not calling you from a fisherman to a missionary like right now. He said, I'm, I'm going to form you in what to, you need to be. I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to train you. I'm going to educate you. He's going to make you into what you need to be. And so this morning, Christianity is not just saying a prayer to get out of hell. It's not fire insurance. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about daily surrender. It's about daily submission. It's about laying down your life on the, on, on the cross of Calvary so you, he can live his life in you. That's what Christianity is about. Christianity is not so much about what we've done, but rather what we're becoming. You understand that? He's making something out of you. But it's one step at a time. The second thing you need to understand is you cannot stay the same when you follow him. You cannot stay the same. And something that has bothered me, I've been in ministry for 11 years. I've been saved since I was 13, so almost 10 years. Oh, 10 years. Oh, my gosh. I wish I was 23. Almost 20 years of being saved. And I've seen a lot of things in my life, lots. But one thing has always disturbed me. One thing has always disturbed me when I look at Christians is how somebody can be saved for 20, 30, 40 years and they have not matured a day since the day they got saved. They have remained the same. And the reality is if you're going to be a Christ follower, you cannot stay the same. There has to be growth. There has to be growth. There has to be maturity in your life. They, they've been saved. They are still spiritually, those people are still spiritually the same as they were 20, 30 years ago. And that bothers me. Because if we're following Jesus step by step, that means we cannot be the same. That means there has to be growth. There has to be maturity. If we follow him step by step, there has to be, matter of fact, I, 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 I told him beforehand I was going to use him. Austin, would you come up here, my friend? This is Austin. Everybody give Austin a round of applause. Hi, <laughs> oh, buddy. Hi, man. So, Austin, follow. Come over here. Come here. Austin is going to play the part of Jesus. He says, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm ready for that role. I said, I think you'll do fine. So, Austin, what I want you to do, you're Jesus. I want you to start just walking slowly to the other side. If I'm following Jesus, I'm just walking with him. Right? I'm doing what he does. But, but we can overlook one simple detail if we're not careful. We can overlook something. Is that when you follow something, it requires movement. You stay right here. I, I don't think you can. When you follow something, it requires movement. That means you cannot be comfortable where you are and follow Jesus. Because what's going to happen, you go ahead and walk over there. You say, I've arrived. I'm a Christ follower. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I worship your name. You're so good to me. He's going to say, I want you to start tithing. Lord, you know me. I just, I just, things are tight right now, Jesus, and I just love you so much. He's like, but that's your next step. You need to follow me. But, Lord, I am following you. He's going to say, open your eyes. He said, you ain't moved. 
You're stuck. You need to take that next step. He said, I'm way down here and you're way over there. You cannot follow me unless you move. And so everybody in this, go ahead, Austin. Thank you, my friend. Go ahead, have a seat. There was a saying when those rabbis would, would pick their disciples, and they would say to the disciples, hey, you, can, you have what it takes to be my disciple. You can do what I do. Follow me. There would be a saying as they would go to the community, people would approach them, and they would approach the disciples, and they would say this to the disciples. They would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So that's how, that kind of a friendly greeting. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. What does that mean? It means you're following that rabbi so close that the dust from his feet is being kicked up all over you. And you're being covered by that dust because you're just following him heel to heel. You're trying to stay up with him. You're trying to learn from him. They're afraid that, that the rabbi might say something and they would miss it. And so they would try to just stay up with him, try to listen to everything he said because they wanted to grow with him. They wanted to be like him. And the reality this morning is how many of you, how many of us is covered with the dust of our rabbi? How many of us are on the hills of Jesus, listening and learning and training and growing in our faith? Or how many of you have stayed the same for years and years and years? In Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Like I said, we're going to be kind of different places this morning. But in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Paul says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Verse verse 12 is very important. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I, what's that word? But I follow, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which I also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. I want you to see what Paul is saying here. Because I think we all put Paul on a big podium as a successful Christian. He's in the big leagues, right? He was one of the very first. He was the first church planter, evangelist, missionary ever. He went all over the place trusting God would do big things. And he would tell people, and we are here today as believers because of the ministry of Paul. I firmly believe that. So when I think of somebody who's got it figured out, when I think of somebody who's got it all together, I think about Paul. And then Paul says in verse 12, he says, not as though I'd already attained. In other words, I haven't arrived yet. And then he goes on, he says, and either we're already perfect. He's like, I still have problems. I haven't arrived yet. I still got my problems. But he says, but I follow that. I follow after. What's he following after? I follow after Christ. So Paul, this Christian, this, this, this hero of the faith, he's saying, I don't have it all figured out, and I still have my problems, and I still have my mistakes, and I haven't arrived yet, but I'm still following him. I'm still following him. And here's the reality is many of us think, well, I've arrived. I've done pretty good for myself. I'm, I'm doing okay. And you've stopped following. I can't tell you how many times I've stopped following Thinking, I got it now. Man, yesterday I went skating for the first time in 20 years. (laughs) Yeah, your reaction is the same as mine. I was in the skating ring, and uh, it's for a birthday party of 
of, of one of my little girl's friends and, a, and a, one of our leaders in TSM. So we went there, and I'm serious, guys. Back in the day, now I'm talking back in the day, I could skate. I'm talking about I could do the trucking. You know your trucking? I could, I could truck. I could do all that. I could, do, I could skate backwards. Well, I could do it all back in the day. <laughs> Yesterday was a different day. <laughs> Yesterday was one of these. I looked like a newborn giraffe just trying to get, get his footing. And honestly, I think that's how many of us are living. Here. We're like, God, you can let go. I got this. And we're just trying to, and you're like, okay, 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 okay. I got it. Okay, God, thank you, thank you. I got it from here, though. And that's how we constantly live our life, in the struggle of trying to do it our own way. And he's just simply saying, follow me. That's all I need is you to follow me. Don't try to do it in your own strength. I'll make you what you need to be, but you can't stay the same. And the next thing we see is that we need to take our next step. We need to take our next step. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're not going to read it. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 to 37. Very familiar passage where David is going to go fight against Goliath. But in this portion, he's confronted by Saul, King Saul. And Saul tells him, listen, you're a little dude. He's a big dude. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure that you're going to be able to win against him. And David says, listen, I fought a lion and I fought a bear. I'm about to go whoop off on this Philistine right now, too. And, and Saul says, well, listen, you're a little guy. I don't think you can do it. But then in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40, which I do have, we'll throw it up there. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40, it says, And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones and out of the brook. Now, the Lord spoke to me something that's powerful last night. That word brook can also be interpreted and translated as valley. And he says, you know, sometimes you have to go to the valley to get the weapons for the battle. And I was like, that's good. We'll say that for another time. But he says, he went to the brook. And put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. I want you to understand that he says he chose for him five smooth stones. Now, there's been a lot of interpretation and a lot of of, uh, things being said about these five smooth stones and what they represented. And I am of the persuasion that I do, in fact, believe that he picked up five smooth stones. Because if you skip down to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 2.21 which we're not going to do, but you can go ahead and write it down and go home and read it later. 2 Samuel chapter 21. You find out that there's four other giants had been killed in battle. And these four giants were sons of Goliath. There's Goliath and his four boys. It's five. I'm under persuasion that, that David went and drew out these five stones because God had told him he's going to go slay a giant. He says, okay, I'll get one for him. I'm going to get one for that other one, too. I'm going to get one for that guy. I'm going to get one for that guy. You know what he is saying? He's saying, I'm ready for my next step. After I get this step done, I'm going to go on to my next step. I'm going to slay that joker, too. And I'm going to get that. I'm going to slay that one, too. He's saying, I'm ready to do whatever you call me to do. I'm going to be prepared to take my next step. Some of us in this room have a step we need to take. You have a rock that you need to pick up. And what does that look like? Maybe some of you in this room right now, this is your first time ever at Temple. You've been invited by family. They harassed you and said, our preacher is so good, you're going to love him. 
They did the bait and switch on you this morning, and he ain't here and I'm here. But maybe this is your first time ever at Temple. And maybe, maybe you're just driving down the road and you felt for some reason you needed to pull in. And so you're here this morning. You don't know why you're here. I don't think things happen on accident. I think you're absolutely here on purpose. God is trying to speak something to you this morning, trying to uh, reveal himself to you this morning. I absolutely believe that. But, but, but maybe this is your first time. Maybe your next step of the reality is you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't have a personal relationship with him. You don't know him the way I know him. He's my savior. He's my best friend. He's the one who has rescued me from a deep, miry pit. He is my, my refuge, my rock, my salvation. He's everything. And I'd love to introduce him to you this morning. I really would. Really would. But maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is you just need to follow Jesus. Make a commitment to him. Pursue him. Maybe that is your next step. Maybe your next step in this room is you need to forgive someone. You've been harboring bitterness and hate and resentment for so long. And God says, you're not going to go anywhere until you forgive. And you're like, well, I ain't going to move then. He says, you need to go forgive. I didn't do nothing wrong. You need to go forgive. It's not my fault. You need to go forgive. And he's not going to let you grow until you go and forgive. There's a, there's a book I read called Living Waters by a Christian uh, Chinese missionary named Brother Yun. And in this book, he says, forgiveness requires one party. Reconciliation requires two parties. In other words, did you know you can forgive somebody without them accepting your apology? Because forgiveness only requires one person. Hey, I'm so sorry. I know, I know we didn't get along in the past, and I know I said some hurtful things. I, I'm just, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? No? Okay, thank you. It's on them now. You've done your part. That has been relieved off of you. That burden is off of you now. It is on them. Reconciliation requires two people. If that person receives your apology and says, listen, I forgive you, then reconciliation can occur. But you don't need their approval to be able to forgive them. Do you hear me? So maybe that's your next step is that you need to pick up a rock of forgiveness and go and do your next step. Maybe some of you, I'm going to step on some toes a little bit. I'm sorry if I do. Not really, but. Maybe some of you are in a relationship you don't need to be in, and you're crossing physical boundaries you shouldn't be crossing with someone you're not married to because you're just living together, you're engaged, and you're going to get married, but we're going to share the same household because it's cheaper on bills and things like that. And I understand all the arguments. I really do. But how are you going to grow in your faith in a relationship like that? How are you going to grow and mature in your faith doing something absolutely against what the Scripture says? And we're all guilty of it. We are all guilty of doing things and trying to seek God's approval about it, but it's not going to work. Maybe some of you need to take your next step in and start controlling your temper. You say things and do things you know you shouldn't say and do, but in the heat of the moment, you just, it just comes out and you're like, oh, my bad. Maybe some of you have a problem of gossiping, but you camouflage it as a prayer request. You know how we do that? <laughs> Y'all pray for so-and-so. They're getting a divorce. Did you hear what she did? I know how that works. I know how it works. Some of y'all need to control your gossiping. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe God's saying, I'm not going to let you grow until you stop gossiping about people. Here's the thing. I could list a whole other list of things that we all have maybe next steps about. But the reality is, as I'm speaking right now, you know exactly what your next step is. 
you know, God has already pinpointed in your life. He says, that's you. You need to take a next. You know exactly what I've been telling you to do. And you ain't been doing it. But you know what it is. And you ain't been growing because you hadn't done this thing. So until you take your next step, you ain't going to grow no more. And you're sitting here so angry at me. Because you're thinking, man, I'm going to have to start doing something about this. Let me give you some reasons why we don't take a next step. This first one is something you won't really hear a lot about in church. Because it sounds a little contradictory. Some of y'all pray too much. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> My whole Christian life I've been told I don't pray enough. And are you saying I pray too much? Yeah, because sometimes we use, a, we use prayer as an excuse for inactivity. I would rather pray than obey. <laughs> I'd rather pray about it than obey. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. Well, I, I know we're living together. We're not married, but we're going to go pray about it. See what God wants us to do. No. You don't need to pray. I promise you, you don't need to pray about it. I promise you, he's okay with y'all moving out. I promise you. I pr- well, I've been beating my, my wife pretty hard lately. Um, I mean, last time I gave her a black eye, and I guess I need to pray about that. No, no, you just need to quit hitting her. All right, that's the reality. You need to stop. It's bad. There's some things, some logical, real things we don't need to ask prayer for. And I've talked to people about mission trips. Hey, you going to go on this mission trip? I'm praying about it. Okay. I understand trying to seek God's wisdom and guidance and all kinds of things. I understand. I'm not trying to demean that by any means. But I don't think God is going to get angry if you jump on a plane to Africa to tell people about Jesus. He's not going to be like, I didn't tell him to go to Africa. How dare he tell people about the gospel of Jesus? I don't think that's how he operates. I don't think you're going to get... There's some things that God has already spoken that we need to do, but we're like, I'm going to pray about it. And we use it as an excuse to not do anything. But there's some simple, logical, plain-as-day steps given to us by the inspired word of God that we need to do. And we don't really need to pray about it at all. We just follow his guidance and his wisdom that he's already laid out for us. You just take that next step. So, so many times we get caught up in this idea. So, for instance, if I tell my little girl, Addison, you need to go clean your room. And she says, Dad, do you really want me to clean my room? Let's talk about it. I'll be like, I've already told you, clean your room. There's no, no negotiations about it. I told you to do something. You go do it. This is how many times we do that to God. God says, go. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And we're like... Do you really want me to go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really do. I really, because I've already told you to go. We don't need to pray about those things. Secondly, sometimes there's just disobedience. The reasons why we don't grow is because of disobedience. And we think we're being obedient. We really do. We think we're being obedient to them. But can I tell you, partial obedience is still disobedience? Partial surrender is still rebellion. God has 90% of my heart, but this thing over here, this is mine. I'm holding on to this. This 10% right here, this is mine. God can have all of that over there, but this right here is mine. He can't have this. Is that surrender? No. Is that obedience? And, And so what we do, what we do is we try to camouflage it. And we try to say, well, if I do enough good things, it will cancel out the bad things. I'm telling you, folks, I'm being honest with you. I've tried so many times. I really have. I've really tried, and I've really struggled. I, 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 I cannot find a way 
to make a Diet Coke cancel out a double cheeseburger. I mean, I've tried it. I've tried dipping it into the Diet Coke. I've tried injecting the patties with Diet Coke. I've tried taking a bite of, diet, uh, a bite of hamburger and a swig of Diet Coke at the same time. The ca- they just don't cancel each other out. And I've tried every way possible, but it just doesn't work. And I'm struggling. But here's what the reality is. We're trying to do that with our own Christian walk. Well, if I serve three times a month, then that should, be, that should cover this sin over here. That's not how it works. And if God is bringing up some area of disobedience into your life, then you need to deal with it. Because if you don't, you will be stuck exactly where you are right now. And I want to tell you right now, God is not going to change his opinion about that situation or that disobedience in your life. He's not going to change his mind because sin will always be sin. So if you're waiting for him to change his mind about what you're doing, you're going to be waiting a long time. Because sin is sin. It always will be. Some of you are not growing. Some of us are not growing because of disobedience. Some of us because of procrastination. Procrastination is the assassination of God's plan. Procrastination is the assassination of God's plan. He's told you to do something, and you're just waiting, and you're just struggling. If you want to follow God, there's always going to be that voice in your head that says, I can do that later. I had this problem with teenagers working out in TSM because they see their whole life ahead of them. I'm 15 years old. Why do I got to follow God wholeheartedly right now. I'll do it when I'm older. Some of y'all are doing that right now and you're 80 years old. And I follow God when I'm older. And the reality is you've been procrastinating for so long and God has been trying to use you this whole time, but you're saying, I'll do it when I'm older. I'll do it, I'll do it when I have more free time. I'm just working like crazy right now. I'll just do it when I have more free time. I can't really serve because I work out of work on so many days, and, and I, can't, I can't really do that. And you know what? When I have enough money saved up, when we pay off some bills, then I'll start going on mission trips, and, and I'll start tithing a little bit more regular. Whenever I do, what are we doing? Procrastinating. But we're procrastinating God's will. And as we're procrastinating God's will, you know what we're not doing? Growing. And we're staying the same. Can I ask you just a point blank question? This really rocked me. It really rocked me, this question. What would you be willing to attempt for God? What would you be willing to attempt for God if you knew you could not fail? Think about it for a second. What would you be willing to attempt for God if you knew you could not fail? What would it be? Got quiet, didn't it? Can I just, I'm not your pastor, so I can say mean things sometimes. And Pastor Malcolm will clean up the mess. Can I, can I just be honest with you and say, whatever that thing is that just popped into your mind, you're a coward if you don't do it. What would you be willing to attempt for God if you knew you could not fail? And whatever that thing was, do it. Pursue it. Pursue it. Do it. Don't procrastinate anymore. Ever gone by Krispy Kreme? Everybody, you know what Krispy Kreme is? Bless the Lord for Krispy Kreme. Right? But here's the reality. What happens when that hot now sign comes on? Right? You put the brakes on and you swing in because them donuts are hot and ready. Can I tell you right now, the hot now sign is on in your life. God is saying act now. Do it now. Respond now. Follow now. Take your next step now. And we're just saying, eh, later. Have you ever, I've done this, 
I passed by a Krispy Kreme and I saw a hot now sign. I said, I can't do it right now. I'll come back later. And the hot now sign was off. I was so sad. It's first world problems, right? Like my donuts were cold. Like that was, but I, I popped in and I was like, this is not the same. The reality is we're waiting to do something, but God is saying, act now. Act now. Next thing is your past. Your past. You cannot let your past dictate your future. Many of us, we don't respond to God because we think, I, I got too much baggage. I got too much stuff. I can't really do this. I got too many mistakes. Listen, the only person concerned about your past is you. God already knew your past, present, and future. There's nothing that's going to take him by surprise. You're not taking him by alarm. You're not going to do something. He's like, I never thought she would do that. No, he already knew about it. Way in advance, before he even spoke anything into creation, he already knew your name and all your flaws. He knew everything about you. There's nothing about you that he's going to disqualify you for from his, uh, for his will and his purpose. You have a plan and a purpose in God's plan and purpose. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. I love that verse 4. Because the way it starts out, but God. He went and he talked about all these things. Paul talked about all these things, these flaws, mistakes, and all these things before. And he gets to verse 4 and he says, but God. But God. See, everybody in here, you have a past. But you also have a but God. I used to be a cutter. I used to inflict harm on myself. But God. I used to be so ate up with hatred. But God. My marriage was falling apart, but God. See, everybody in here has a past. You're not fooling anybody in here. We're all broken, mistaken people full of sin and inequality or, or, or iniquity, and we're all falling short of the glory of God. You're not fooling nobody. But we also have a but God. But God. I was a drunk, but God. I was an addict, but God. I was a womanizer, but God. I was an abuser, but God. We all have a but God. We all have a past. Don't let your past keep you from making your next step. I want to end with this. God wants to show off in your life. You know that? He wants to show off in your life in a big, big way. There's, there's two types of rich people. Two types of rich people. If you ever watch any kind of award ceremonies or anything like that, you usually see like the rappers come on stage, and they've got like a like a car rim hanging from a gold necklace. <laughs> they get up there, <laughs> yo man, I want to thank God for my song. I shot the cop. Yeah, it's like I love him. And like, and then they're talking, but they got all this gaudy jewelry on and Rolexes. They got two different Rolexes, and each one set to a different time zone. You know, they think they're a big deal. And and here's the reality. That's the kind of wealth that's being put on display. But then you got people like Bill Gates. If I saw that joker on the street, I would think he was homeless. He doesn't put his, he's one of the richest men in the world. But they don't really put it on display. It's just, you know, like an average guy. Can I tell you something, though? God puts his wealth on display. God is the one, in Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, the, sh the stars shine for him. Nature, the creation, the sun rises and the sun sets. You know what that's all talking about? God. 
He's putting on display his mercy and his glory. He's putting on display his riches and he's putting on, on, on display his name for you and I. He's bragging about it. He's putting it out there and he wants to show off big in your life. And God wants to get all the glory for it. Let me give you an example about how that works. Y'all know who Lazarus is in the Bible? Okay, good. What was Lazarus' occupation? What did he do for a job? How many kids did Lazarus have? Did he have kids? Was he married? What was his, what was his family trade? Did he have an education? What do you know about Lazarus? The only thing we know about Lazarus is what Jesus did in his life. That is the only thing. Jesus raised him from the dead. That's all. That's all we know about Lazarus. Is Jesus did something big in his life. What am I trying to say to you? God wants to do something big in your life. So the only thing that's known about you is what he has done. He's want to put himself on display in your life so that you know the only thing that he has done is what he has done in your life. And you can't be bragging about anything other than what Jesus has done for me. So what's your next step? How are you going to let him use you in a big way? How are you going to make his name famous? How are you going to give him the glory about it this morning? God wants to display himself in your life. So what are you going to do? So what I'm going to do now is we're going to go in time to response invitation. I'm going to ask our musicians to come up here and, and do that. But I want to pray for you. Pray for those in this room. Because some of you I know are struggling right now. Because you know what your next step needs to be. And you're scared to take it. You're anxious. You have anxieties about what it's going to cost you to take this next step. Because you've got your whole life figured out. And you just don't know how this next step is going to figure into that plan. Can I, can I just encourage you that God is big enough to handle all your fears and anxieties and, and all of your concerns. He's big enough to handle that. And he wouldn't have called you to do something unless he's already prepared it all the way through. And so I want to encourage you to take that next step. It was letting go of something. Let it go. It was, it was asking for repentance about a sin that keeps coming up in your life. I want to encourage you to do that. If it's something like a relationship you need to end, I pray that you have the courage to end it this morning. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you're thinking, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe that is your next step this morning, is that you need to step out in faith and have a relationship with him. So we're going to have people down front. We're going to have ladies for ladies and men for men at the altar and up there in the balcony as well. There's going to be people for you to go to. But whatever your heart concern is right now, if you need to follow Jesus, they would love to talk to you about what that means. If you just need somebody to pray with you, that you can have the faith and the courage to take this next step, I pray that you would do that as well. So would you stand? this morning all around stand yeah. and I'm going to pray and Mr. Jalen's going to sing and this time is for you absolutely for you don't don't worry about if your neighbor is moving don't worry about if people's watching listen don't